Well, welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we're jumping with one of our favorite guests. It is Cam Lee Small. Um, you can find him on Instagram at Therapy Redeemed. He is a um, author, speaker, um, therapist, uh, licensed professional counselor, um, just an, an influential person person in the world of um, adoption, mental health, and faith. And so um, he's got a book coming out this June, which is um, a, a topic of, of our conversation today. And I'll, I won't spoil or, or take his thunder up here. I'll let him share more about that. But um, the book is uh, going to be phenomenal. One, we're so excited to have him um, here today to share from an adoptee's perspective, um, just everything from identity formation to um, how do you navigate um, if I should go to therapy or not, or how do I navigate um, the intersection of faith and mental health and um, adoption. He's Cam is great. It was very much like sitting through uh, a counseling session today with him and, and his insight and um, wisdom is, is deep and far and wide. So we're, we're just really grateful for him. And so um, you can find him again on Instagram at Therapy Redeemed. You can also Google Therapy Redeemed and find his um, information on his practice, uh, courses he's got, resources, all that. That'll be linked in the show notes below in case you want to find uh, more on how you can connect with Cam or with Cam's work. Without any further ado, here he is now. Cam Lee Small talking about um, his new book and an adoptee's perspective. Well, as I said earlier, we are here today with Cam Lee Small, and he's going to share with us um, a lot about both his life, but also about um, an exciting project he's been working on that is coming in June 2024. And so um, if you have missed our first conversation with Cam, um, he and I were talking off air before we recorded. It was a lot more tactical, kind of as a, a practical parenting advice um, episode. So I'll link that in the show notes um, below. It's, it is a very helpful episode, but today will be a lot more um, both biographical and then talking through his upcoming book. And so um, Cam, I mean, thank you, number one, for being here with us again. And then second, um, and I would love for people who do not know your story or or kind of how and why you got into the work that you're in today for you just to share a, a little about that. And then we'll talk about the the book coming up. JD, it's awesome to be here. Um, returning guest. I think I was back uh, back in 2021. So it's been a oh, couple of yeah. years. Um, so I appreciate you having me back on. Absolutely. I come into this conversation as a Korean American adoptee. I currently serve as a mental health provider, a licensed professional clinical counselor. And a lot of the work that I do, it's a merging of my personal story, kind of walking through dimensions of adoptee consciousness and awareness about what is adoption, what does it mean for us, what are um, uh, matured meanings, and how do, how do those meanings evolve over time. Um, and then as a you know, with my skill set, background, and training uh, in counseling psychology, um, really trying to help folks professionally normalize this process of mental health, that we don't have to be in crisis for it. And if we do happen to come into an intense season, it is okay and yeah. appropriate, normal even, to ask for help. So yeah. in terms of mental health, that's where I sort of enter into the conversation with adoptees, with parents, with allies, with service providers, uh, colleagues, professionals in the community. That's really where I'm at right now currently. Awesome. Uh, and your book coming out in June, talk, talk to us 
about what you can from the book. And, um, and then I'd love to know the foundations of it. What was it that was burning inside of you that, that, that you had to get it out in book form? And so, uh, why don't we start there? One of the main motivations and desires and inspirations that I have for this particular book is to answer and address some questions that we have as members of a church community and maybe even folks that are wondering about what is faith and how does that even relate to mental health. And, um, you know, there there's a large portion of adoptees who were placed through some kind of local church involvement or a faith-based organization. What does that mean for us? So this book is an extension of a dialogue that has been happening for decades, really just adoptees asking, can we talk about this? There's some um, operations and there are some decisions and, and, and people making decisions. There are a lot of these processes happening sometimes behind the scenes that we don't have language for. So in uh, my hope for this book is that we can give and present and co-create that language together as part of the local church community. But even just, even if you're, you feel distant from the church community or you don't feel like that resonates with you, that's okay too. It's really an invitation for um, us to get together as a community, as adoptees especially, um, and work through these layers together. And as we develop that um, content and uh, the discussion, we can bring that to the people that we love and that we care about and even bring that into our advocacy. So this book is really for folks to kind of read through that and inspire folks to you know do that on their own terms in their specific context. Would you say the book is written primarily toward adoptees or toward adoptive families or kind of is it a, a blend of both? I love that question. It reminds me of the conversation I had with the editor, my editor, when we first kind of started this like two and a half years ago. Um, it is written to adult adoptees. Yeah. And that's the primary kind of hope audience community that I'm writing to. And then he mentioned, you can think of um, someone is going to look over the shoulder as an adult adoptee is reading, someone who cares about adoptees, someone who's concerned and um, you know, they feel compelled to help and support and come alongside of us. It's also written so that someone looking over our shoulder can gain insight and inspiration too, and calls to action. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you're, what was, what was the hardest part of writing the book for you? Chapters related to grief mm. because I'm pulling from my personal story. Yeah. And I think there was a season when I was writing, um, that portion and it's kind of, it weaves throughout the entire book, but the, that specific chapter on grief, um, it's kind of thinking through all of my intake documents, uh, recalling my own reunion meetings and even just the, the current, while I was writing it, the current sort of tension of not being able to meet with my birth family as I was trying to reconnect with them. And we were traveling back and forth during that time. Um, yeah. Managing everything that comes up while I'm trying to write something helpful and useful and sincere for, yeah. for the readers. So it's really a mixture of um, being honest and open and vulnerable, transparent and professional and uh, maintaining uh, a practice of self-care 
even just you know spiritual, physical, emotional health during that time and throughout the whole book, but specifically during that time. An easy line to find, right? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just an easy piece of cake. Deal. Yeah. Um, for people, if you have not, uh, I'll I'll link this in the show notes. If you have not watched this, um, Cam was interviewed by uh, a CBS affiliate in his uh, in his city area. Um, mm-hmm. in yeah, a local CBS affiliate. Um, if people have not seen that, would you kind of share? Uh, I was struck in light of what the subject matter of the book is. Um, your story of your earliest memories of getting off the plane and everything when you were coming over. Will you kind of share that story? What you shared on the interview with CBS and and kind of how that relates particularly to this content in the book. I have a lot of appreciation and respect for Susan Littlefield, the uh, journalist who invited me in. And it's the way that we were able to have conversations leading up to the filming of that discussion Mm -hmm. and really trying to be as thoughtful as possible. What feels comfortable to share, what would be helpful for this, this local community to hear as we're working through trying to raise awareness about adoptee foster related needs in the community. So the beginning of the interview really was her asking, you know, when you share your story, where do you usually begin? Um, I talked about being born in Korea and that earlier on in my life, I used to actually just introduce myself, um, you know, when it related to adoption, I was adopted from Korea and that was where my story began. Mm -hmm. And so what I was sharing in the interview was my hope that right, like right now and currently and throughout my the last few years, I've been trying to be intentional about um, really bringing that layer of Korea to life by saying I was born in Korea. I know it's a small thing, and you know, and maybe you know, people out there that listening right now, you, you've even shared that and didn't think too much of it. That's okay. But for me, um, the reason I, I I begin with that is to acknowledge that there was a life I had that I was living before I was adopted, that I was a son before I was adopted. I had family, I had heritage, culture, ancestry. Yeah. And then um, working through the idea that I lived there for three and a half years. And I mean, you're a parent, three and a half years, yes, it goes by quick. And there's a lot that can happen in one morning that can be ups and downs. So three and a half years of that with two caregivers, my my parents, right? often um, for me was dismissed when I would just say just all throughout my life I was adopted. And so even for me, that language almost um, limited me as a person cognitively as a kid from even just recognizing I have this part of my story that it's just so much that I could be knowing about and questions asking. So unpacking all of that in in that interview um, leading up to mother's decision in anguish uh, through uh, to place me for adoption, relinquishment, and then being placed on an airplane and you know flown across the world, landing um, and being sort of placed into the arms of these to me at that point strangers. The oh. language: Who are these people? What is going on here? And I think that can sometimes get eclipsed by the you know welcome home celebration gotcha day. And I'm not pointing fingers or shaming anyone who sure. celebrates a gotcha day. Um, but part of the experience, the lived experience of that child can sometimes get missed if yeah. there's a too much if there's too much of an emphasis on that celebration of coming home, 
Well, yeah. I, I had a home for three and a half years and, right. you know, acknowledging that. So that was the, the, the bulk of the interview portion, um, you know, the two minutes, but our conversation was, uh, you know, like an hour, two hours long. And again, the, the pre, uh, the front end leading up to that conversation. So thankful for that. And then afterwards yeah. being able to debrief and, um, process with Susan. Yeah. It's, it's powerful out again. We'll link it below. You should definitely watch it. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me and, and one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about today is, is just those, those early formations of identity and, and particularly in school and the environments that, that socially are, are beginning to shape your experience in the world and, and shape your beliefs of the world and all of that. Um, you know, I, I know that for, uh, us, and again, I will say, no shame. I'm not going to name agencies, but like when we were, we were going through the adoption process, uh, totally going through and sort of a hero's mindset and sort of this, like you're doing a noble thing mindset. There's not very much emphasis at all on, um, mindfulness of early formation of identity and, um, in environments. And, and so we were, I would say like, um, providentially fortunate that where we were, bringing a child home to the community we're coming home to was a, a pretty vibrant, rich community that was, um, that was extremely diverse. And so the experiences for, for our son who's African-American, like for him coming home to a city that's almost split totally, you know, black and white in, in the South, like helps those experiences to not be so linear early on. But I wish that had been an intentional thing on our part. It was completely, again, I would not say luck. It was completely you know, providential by God to, to allow that to, to happen for us. Will you talk for a minute, especially, you know, personal experience, but also from a therapeutic experience, why those early formations of identity are so important and why mindfulness about that from parents is so important. We are growing up, we're waking up each day and we're forming thoughts and we're cataloging our feelings and emotions and we are soaking in everything. So as a, a small child, yes, there is that process of attachment of when I put out a cue, this person helps me. Yeah. Really simple. The, the serve, return, need, call, response. Need that need expressed, yeah. Yes. Now we're thinking through that term identity, which is um, uh, uh, there, there are volumes to study on this. If yeah. I were to boil it down in, into, you know, that phrase of like, who am I? What do I have to work with? And who do I want to become? Um, we're thinking about as a, a, a child where I look different than my parents, not just, oh, I have different hair color, but um, there is this skin, physical, outward appearance that that is uh, different. And even when, when we're out in public, the sort of hyper visibility that I, I can't hide, it's not like I can yeah. kind of keep this secret or private. Um, it, it's, it's just happening. Um, something about the, the, the exposure to um, witnessing either or media or in-person representations of this or um, literature, theater, music, whatever, People who look like me, what do they do? What can't they do? How are they treated? Um, how do others feel about them or how they're treated? How do they feel about that? And we begin to de develop, and because of our conversation here, we'll think about um, racial identity. 
And racial identity, we can um, go go into a a lot of jargon about it, but essentially it's um, the process of seeking out experiences with folks with this sort of like, you can call it a shared consciousness, a shared memory, even a shared destiny, but that, that we share this lived experience. We're seeking out experiences of that. That's con. Or I'm sorry. That's process. Content is the thoughts and and feelings and the information available to me and to the people around me um, regarding this particular racial identity. Now we think about race is a system of power, and again, that's a, a, a another training and additional training. But identity at home with my adoptive parents, it looks like how are they providing for me mm-hmm. truth that can help me challenge lies if I were to just boil it down. yeah. And through that process, I learn about who am I, who am I associated with, um, to which communities am I responsible or can I look to to receive support? Who do I, we think about the sense of belonging, um, past, present, and future possibilities. That sense of identity, if I'm only receiving that from false balances, like lies, like stereotypes, prejudice, bigotry, yeah. racism. If that's my only, the, the, the pipeline of information, then it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a, um, a challenge. I guess we could say the, um, the, the cards might be stacked against us in terms of growing a sense of confidence that I am capable. I have the capacity to reflect the glory of God, to serve, to be served, to... Uh, reflect and practice, demonstrate kindness and uh, strengths, develop strengths and abilities and skills, and even just envisioning the future. If all I'm getting is, oh, you all are kind of, you do this and that's pretty much it. You know, it's going to take either a supernatural kind of help, which I believe in. And practically though, it's going to take a really heavy dose of some intentional presence of people and intentional um, interaction with activities, immersion experiences, education, um, to really cultivate a sort of challenging of that status quo. Yeah. Talk about racial mirrors on Instagram. Um, there, there's a reel where you talk about that um, and, and the importance of that. And I think um, as as kid, as parents are are thinking about contemplating um, adoption and and I would say as parents are thinking about parenting, period. Um, those racial mirrors are, are important. Um, is there anything you'd like to speak to in terms of the, the thought process of of setting your kids up for success in that particular way? So we're thinking about racial mirrors and maybe for, for some folks listening, you're kind of thinking about, oh my goodness, you know, my, my, my child goes to a predominantly white school and, you know, the teachers are white and leadership, authority figures. Um, how am I going to present them or give them exposure to people of color or someone that um, shares their racial, ethnic, you know, background and, and yeah. why is that important? Um, so there's an idea, and, and I guess I get this, I, part of this phrase I get from um, Angela Tucker, and that's fresh in my mind because I was just um, in a training that, that Angela is providing, um, using this term outsourcing. Um, but w- what I'm thinking through is it's okay 
for a white adoptive parent who's parenting an adoptive color, it's okay for a white adoptive parent to say that I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough to offer this child in terms of education about their history and um, celebrating different holidays related to their origin story. It's okay for them to acknowledge we might need some help with this. Okay. And there's no shame in that. Um, and, And in fact, there's favor to a sense of humility, humble, right? And what what I usually work with parents is we're thinking of, well, I guess one question, and this is this is not to make a you know parent feel bad, but if it's hard to think about, well, where I don't even I, I'm not even in an area where I could make friends with someone of color. Well, we might want to hesitate before we're thinking about adoption, uh, bringing a child of color into that community. That's one thing. And again, no shame. Sure. Just, this is a dialogue. Um, the, the, the second idea is um, being in spaces where, it, it, I'm sorry, um, just a daily lifestyle routine, just our norm. How, what does that look like? You know, if I'm um, conducting an assessment with, with a family with, you know, um, quote unquote, prospective adoptive parents, walk me through your day-to-day life. You know, who are you having meals with? What kind of community gatherings are you a part of? Um, you know, share about your your experience at church, your friend group, your, your the, the, the social activities. And if, again, like I, I said earlier, if it's really difficult, if you feel like you're going out of character, out of your way, um, to be in spaces where uh, your your child from either another country or another racial ethnic background, if it feels like you have to go like really out of your way um, to provide them with that, well, then we reverse engineer. How do you make it so you wouldn't have to go out of your way? How how would you make it so that it's just really natural? I step out my door and this is our story world. It's yeah. you know racial ethnic diversity. How does that happen? And if that can't happen. Um, how are we being intentional about even inside our home? And this is not to say that just some pictures and books inside our home can account or compensate for sure. relinquishment and um, transcultural, transnational, international adoption and, and the losses and traumas associated with that. Can't compensate for that. But um, there is a racial ethnic scale provided by the Harvard Ethnic Racial Identity Laboratory that is led by Dr. Imani Taylor. And folks can look look that up online, it's free. And it's not targeted for, it's not written for adoptees or adoptive families, but it just gives kind of like um, a checklist of, um, like if a child was was taking that assessment, my parents teach me about my racial ethnic history. Mm -hmm. Or I regularly attend um, activities or festivals or gatherings related to my racial ethnic background. Um, we regularly play music or watch um, television or media um, representative of or produced by members yeah. of my racial ethnic background. So I think there are decision points like that that a family can consider when we're trying to increase or, or again, um, you know, be intentional about pursuing racial eth- ethnic supports. Yeah. For children who can't fully get that from their white adopted parents. Mm. Okay, so we're talking about lots of things related to trauma and loss, obviously, um, that comes with uh, the adoption process. So 
your book, I want to go back to this. The title is from you know trauma and loss to empowerment to healing and empowerment. So uh an adoptee's journey for this. So let's let's talk about um the healing and empowerment piece. So for for those who are hearing this, adoptees or adoptive parents or people who are like, this is just a lot to think through and a lot to work through as a human. And there's a there's a heaviness in there. There can be healing and empowerment to come out of um, each of our stories, right? So will you talk about that that part of your own journey and then how how you hope for the book to accomplish uh, that or or start that process for your readers? The title, it's a little tricky. It's, um, I guess, a little spoiler alert, kind of a bait and switch. It makes me think about someone going from loss and trauma and someone just really grappling with that. And then they're turning from the loss and trauma to healing and empowerment. It's as if oh, we can go from one to the other, from A, from point A to point B. My hope, and I know that there is some of that. If you think about a physical wound, a, sure. a cut in the skin, and sure, it can heal. There's healing there. Uh, my hope with the book, though, is to invite readers into that dialogue of it's really about widening the scope of the lived experience of an adoptee. And I, as an adoptee, just uh, from my own story, Cam, um, went through a process of of thinking, okay, well, if I, unless I fully heal from grief and loss and start to feel complete and whole and content all day, every day, unless I have that, then I can't really claim that I'm in a process of healing and I can't really feel empowered. Um, it's, it's to help me get away from that sort of like all or nothing black yeah. and white thinking, that mental filter, but widening, widening the scope, the widening the range of change for um, an adoptee means that Yes, there are actually layers of grief and trauma that I'm going to be navigating lifelong, and that's part of the the process. It's it's yeah. kind of the rub. I can't control that. And while I recognize that and invite supporters and resources in my life to to hold that, I can also, and you know, I can also be living in a, a state, a process of. Um, reoccurring regular moments of either incremental, maybe even milestone, significant experiences of personal revelation, insight about about myself, about the world, about God even. Yeah. And with that sort of like internal um, scope of awareness and, and revelation also increases my capacity to respond um, to the world coming at me. That you can maybe you can call it sin from the outside, suffering from the outside, but the forces that against me, I can respond to that and still live in an empowered way. I can still make choices. I still have decision-making capacity um, based on the revelations and the, the internal and interpersonal dialogue that I have in interactions. I can still live in a, in, in a meaningful, satisfying story arc. So from, from loss and trauma to healing and empowerment, you can count on that range entire range yeah. moving forward lifelong and That's if we good. can accept that then we can leverage that internally individually for ourselves but also outward collectively for our neighbors for our siblings yeah. um perhaps for the glory of god if that's your faith background and just the flourishing of humanity just yeah. basic common grace 
for ourselves and those around us. Oh, I love that. I love that. And that feels, you know, it, it's a very therapist thing to say, to talk about like, no, we're not eradicating the trauma and loss. We're, we're working through that. And that's a part of our story forever. Right. Um, yes. And the healing and the empowerment can also be part of that story. And we kind of go from, it's the C.S. Lewis out of like moment to moment, like moments of, of suffering, moments of glory. And, um, and to understand those things as, as part of the story, not separate from each other. Right. Um, I love that. Um, you know what, I guess you've answered a whole lot of questions of this and I, and I, I have a thousand more that I want to ask, but I'll keep it to just a few. Um, one of the things that we talk about, um, here in Empower to Connect all the time, um, you know, starting this work, um, of trying to parent at all in a way that is call it effective or helpful, whatever adjective you want to use in that situation. Um, it, it doesn't start with kids. It starts with us, right. And figuring out our own internal work. Um, I wonder for adult adoptees who have yet to have, um, have yet to, to start their parenting journey or have yet to, um, to go into that world of parenting kids. Um, I wonder if you on the other side of it now, if you have some advice for, um, adult adoptees that are working through, um, their questions, their, their stories as they prepare to have families one day. So there's an adult adoptee who is considering parenthood or they're kind of on a pathway to that. And how do I prepare for this? What do I, what kind of layers can I think through um, to walk this journey well? I think for me personally, um, there's a, so just right, right now as a parent every day, I, I fail at being a perfect parent. And, and, and that's just a really easy thing to say. Anyone can say that. Sure. Um, sure. But I think for me, um, the 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 milestones that are parallel with ages that I navigated as an adoptee myself. Um, so being in those types of seasons with my children, I, I didn't always, uh, I wasn't fully prepared for some of the internal reflections and, and the reactions that I would have. Like mm -hmm. for example, when, um, I'll just use my son as an example, like when he is like when he turned three, well, that's the, the age I was when my dad died in Korea and I wanted, I'm celebrating with my family and him. I, I love him, yeah. um, in a way that you can't put into words. And I just know during that week, during that season and, and on that day, there were some reflections in my mind and there some 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 grief that I'm holding. Um, now I've gone through my personal work and I have support and resources. And of course, as a clinician, as a mental health provider, I'm biased and I have, um, you know, preparations in mind to, to journal through that, to pray through that. Great. But um, for an adult adoptee sort of embarking on this journey, I think, you know, w one of the recommendations and suggestions that I give in adult adoptee groups that I facilitate or even just other speaking engagements is to, to open up to that sense of community support. Are there folks in the community that you can reach out to? Are there books or articles that you can read that help normalize this process for you? Um, and just even the expectation that there can be milestone moments, there can be seasons, um, circumstances and situations that can activate different 
questions or wonderings or feelings for you. And this is not to project to say like, okay, every moment of your adoptee journey, uh, um, yeah. of your parenting journey has to mean something about adopt <laughs> adoption, but it's really just saying like, hey, there there could be potentially yeah. um, mixed dimension, dimensions that intersect with your life as an adoptee and in your journey that intersect with your journey as a parent. So that's you know something that you could expect. But really, yeah, just a normalization meet with a uh, formally or informally with a with a counselor or someone that you trust that you can bounce ideas off of um while you're walking that path so yeah. there's a lot more and that's actually i mean in the in, in my book there's um entire entire chapter de dedicated to um navigating relationships um community emotions kind of like the whole the whole gamut and again, it's not like the one size or it's not like the comprehensive guidebook to sure. being an adoptee, but um, really there are some resources in, in there that can help an adult adoptee really sit with this conversation that you and I are yeah. talking about right now. I, I imagine still it's the same conversation of being on a spectrum, right? Like that 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 spectrum of, of loss and trauma to healing and empowerment flows throughout each segment of our lives, right? And so there's there's gonna be easy moments, hard moments and yeah. Um, Last, last thought, last question there, or, or topic I want to talk with you about today is the intersection um, of faith and mental health and adoption. Um, and we could take two of those three in any combination and fill up an entire probably series of podcasts. This is not to say we're going to cover the entire topic right now, but um, when it comes to uh, those three layers, what are kind of your thoughts on the current state of um, whether it's what you're seeing in your practice, what, what you're seeing trends in the internet, um, in in thought patterns related to faith, adoption, and mental health, or or where you would want for those things to go, um, what are your thoughts right now on the intersection of those three components? Mm -hmm. I think faith can be a a very beautiful, helpful, powerful practice. And I don't think faith should be used to prevent adoptees from exploring their stories or speaking their stories aloud in their families or in their communities. That's one of the main thrusts in the book. And I'm not the first person to kind of, you know, think through that or, or say that, but that's really when we're talking about these different intersections, um, it's an invitation for us to ask folks, if that's you, if you feel like because people around you have had faith or even from your own faith, if you feel like um, there are questions that you'd like to explore, but you feel guilty maybe, or just hesitant because I should love Jesus more, or mm -hmm. if I loved Jesus, I wouldn't have to search for my birth family. You know, just if you feel any, any cinder of that even, yeah. then this book can be something to invite you into that conversation, to invite, invite us into the yeah. conversation, especially, um, as I mentioned um, earlier, you know, an adoptive parent looking over the shoulder of an adult adoptee reading this book. Yeah. Um, if you're that adoptive parent, how has faith operated in your parent-child relationship? And how has faith operated in your concept of adoption, just mm -hmm. in general? Yeah, and you know, having that conversation can can be so fruitful, and it can even yield a deeper connection, a genuine yeah. connection, even um, parent-child relationship. 
and give us the sales pitch from a therapist perspective for uh, the, uh, I would say the person who does have that block of, okay, but I've got faith that God can, can take care of all these issues I'm walking through. I don't, I don't have to go to some person who's not God to heal myself from these things. I don't, I don't need mental health care. I need the gospel. Like what, what would be your argument um, for mental health care as part of God's assistance to us as humanity? Oh, <laughs> amen to that. I think of this idea of, you know, how, how wide, how long, you know, how deep is the love of God? I we're, we're thinking about untapped oceans of resource and love and empathy that exist inside of you, dear adoptee. And if you are just burning to live out the gospel, would God use your curiosities as an adoptee to bless the world i think so and i'm not gonna i, I would never discount that right i'm not gonna rule that out and uh, it, it's just this idea that wow what in what kinds of ways could i even just unlock strengths within me and insights and revelations not to make me a hero or a martyr or a savior but just to even increase my sense of humanity and again, I'm not going to say, hey, you should spend time, you know, uh, grieve your story and, and cry and, you know, be this, you know, negative emotional person and, and, and nothing wrong to, to you if, if, if that resonates with you. But what we're just saying is that sort of exploration, I think, in a way, and now I'm, I got to be really careful here because I could end up sort of doing the same thing um, that I'm in, in a way encouraging people not to do, but um if there is a way, um, even just uh, two two pictures here, the talent. Okay, you've you've got this lived experience that could resonate with people around you, and just a way to to love them and serve them. Okay, great. But I don't want to pressure you to look into your adoption story if you don't want to. That's okay. You don't have to. Um, and and the second one is um, there is a, a seed, for example, that falls to the earth and, and is growing. And if there's a, a a block or a boulder or some obstacle on top of someone, as they're growing, it's possible that this sort of internal exploration of the adopted journey can help us carry that burden with the neighbor. I'm not saying it's completely necessary. I'm not saying sure. it's going to save you. I'm not saying it's the person of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that it's possible that our own internal consciousness, uh, adoptee consciousness, just you know about activism and the realities of adoption, the the increasing of that within us can potentially increase our capacity to increase the presence and the help and the refuge um, and the grace of God in another person's life uh, relative to or associated with their adoptee journey. Okay, now we don't have to just. This is all I think about 24-7, adoptee, how can I be an activist? Right. Uh, all I'm asking is, are there ways for me to un to, to tap into and to access these oceans of grace in me related to the adoptee journey so that, yes, I can experience the grace myself, but also perhaps pour into another person's life in, in, in a way that brings refreshment 
and the fragrance of of Christ here and now, this very moment, to my neighbor. Yeah, gosh. He is Camley Small. Uh, his book is The Adoptee's Journey from Loss and Trauma to Healing and Empowerment, coming in June uh, through University Press. Uh, Cam, always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for your time today and your vulnerability. Um, and we can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, JD. Again, the book is The Adoptee's Journey from Loss and Trauma to Healing and Empowerment um, coming in June of 2024 through University Press. And so if it is after June 2024 when you're reading this, what are you waiting for? Go buy the book. Um, if it is before then, then just stay tuned. Go ahead and hit the pre-order button as soon as you see it on uh, Amazon or wherever you get all of your favorite books. Uh, but just a huge thank you to Cam. I I, I um, said to him off air, just it, it was uh, refreshing just as a parent um, as an adoptive parent, a transracial adoptive parent, sitting in and talking with him today, I felt like I got a, a free therapy session from him and um, were just things that I needed to have in my mind and, and be conscious of uh, to be a better parent today. Um, and so, uh, and not just a better parent, a better, more thoughtful human. And so just a, uh, we are the biggest fans of uh, his work on earth. And so I'm um, just really grateful for him joining us today. Uh, you can find more about him. You can find more about Empower to Connect and find all of our resources um, linked below in the show notes. Um, but that's all for us this week. Again, we got a ton of great stuff coming this spring. Super excited to continue bringing you Carpool Q&A every um, Thursday and Friday at, toward the end of the week, 15 minutes or less to get you from point A to point B, one topic, one conversation, um, and more of the Empower to Connect podcast as well, uh, more deeper dive discussions um, as we go throughout the spring. So for everybody here at Empower to Connect, for Kyle Wright, he edits and engineers all of our audio from Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast. I'm JD Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast.